Here's my thing. I covered him his entire tenure in Boston. I got to know him decently well, at least as an executive. And I will tell you this about Theo Epstein. He is way too competitive to just sit back and watch the Red Sox be terrible. Do I think that he's going to come in and start running the team and change what they do this year? No, it might take a while. It might take a year. It might take two. I don't know. I I, I seem to get the sense that this job is more like a consultant gig out of the shoots. However, in the long term, having Theo Epstein as part of the Red Sox ownership team should make fans feel a lot better now than they did at this time yesterday. And I won't back down from that for a second. It's time for Sunday Mass with Christian Arcan on WEI. Good morning. Welcome in. It is Sunday Mass. I'm the Reverend Arcan here on Boston Sports Original WEEI. It's nice to have you with us this morning. Hello to all the uh, people in the congregation and the new people who are uh, joining us for the first time today. Welcome to you as well. Uh, we got a lot to get to today as uh, it's myself. We got Joseph behind the glass who will be uh, helping me out, taking your phone calls as well at 617-779-7937. We'll also hear from Sean McAdam today. As we discuss what you just heard John Tomasi talking about in that clip there. And that is the return of Theo Epstein, which is where we're going to begin today. Theo's back. I'll say this. If you uh, if you know my other program in the afternoons, Jones Mego with me, Arcand, which, by the way, if you're listening right now, you know, best part of the show. Um, if you listen to that, then you heard something you don't hear very often, really, ever. And that was an optimistic and not like being, you know, evil about it, like a legit optimistic outlook about any team, let alone the Red Sox, but about any team here in the city from Adam Jones. I was I was shocked at how hook, line and sinker him and many other people fell for this Theo thing. I just I listen, I hope I hope that what Tomasi said is true. I hope that this is going to be a example of him coming back to save the baseball team. And that he's too competitive to let the team just flounder and stink. But what I think's going on here is something that goes beyond Theo. Or really anybody. Other than John Henry. What's going on now is an organizational philosophy that I don't think you hire other people to come in and tell you, hey, your philosophy stinks. If you think your philosophy stinks, you just change your philosophy. Why would you Why would you have uh, Theo Epstein become a minority owner just to tell you, hey, maybe you should spend some money. Hey, you know, you can trade some prospects. Hey, you can do these things. Which, by the way, is that what he's going to come do? He's just going to come do the job he did 20 years ago? No, he's trying to be an owner. Theo Epstein wants to be a baseball owner, and God bless him. He should be a baseball owner. I bet he'd be a great baseball owner. Uh, you know, like, I think he would do very well at that. He's done very well at everything he's ever done in the world of baseball. A, a literal Midas touch with him. And you can't really say, like, he's going he's gonna to go down in baseball history. As a really important figure, like, you know, like he's not like Kennesaw Mountain, whatever, but like he is going to be someone that you look at in when we're all gone, you know, and he's going to say that Theo Epstein, look what he did. Look at these things he did. And I don't know who knows what baseball is going to be like then, but you know that he's going to be an important figure in the history of the sport. And you think he's just going to come and, you know, make recommendations on who to draft in the Rule 5 and, you know, guys like that. I just He's going to say, hey, you know, 
Maybe you should spend money on a guy like Shohei Otani, John. Maybe you guys should be in on him. He's a pretty pretty special player, wouldn't you say? Hey, you know, Mookie Betts, maybe don't trade him. Let's maybe keep him around. <laughs> let's 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 do what we can to make sure Mookie Betts stays a Boston Red Sox. You need Theo Epstein to tell you that? Like, you know, <laughs> was Dave Dombrowski, did he convince John Henry to let him spend? Or was that just the philosophy at the time? Yeah, well, okay, we got some money now. Let's go ahead. Dombrowski, we want you to go out there, get David Price. We want you to trade all the prospects for Chris Sale. This is our philosophy. This is what we're doing. And then they execute that plan, whatever that plan is. People go back to, like, 04, and they say, well, Theo had this great influence over John Henry. And in 2004, it's true. He had John Henry thinking outside the box back then. Absolutely. That was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. And he got him to spend. But he didn't get him to spend on Manny Ramirez. That happened before Theo got there. You know, he was uh, responsible for Kurt Schilling and David Ortiz and Bill Miller and all these great moves. It's not like he didn't make tremendous moves. He traded Nomar Garcia Parra down the street. He did all these things. And they all worked. <laughs> it's It's really amazing how... Almost every single thing he did worked. Not everything, but almost everything he did worked. And the things that didn't work didn't derail you that much. Is really, in Chicago too, really incredible. So I don't want this to sound like I'm anti-Theo. I'm not. How could you be anti-Theo Epstein? I'm just too cynical about what's going on with the Red Sox right now to buy into this. I'm sorry. It's just they've made it that way. They've, made, they've formed me into this now. After a few years of this, after they fired my good friend High and Bloom, <laughs> you know, after all that sort of stuff, I just I don't I don't understand I don't understand how how bringing in Theo Epstein, bringing him back to the organization and saying, hey, you know, we've been doing it this way, it doesn't seem to be working. I guess maybe we should have spent on Shohei Otani and Mookie Betts. Theo, how about you now? Why don't you be the voice that tells us who to who to spend that money on? Even if you're not paying any attention to the Red Sox anymore. Like, zero attention. And I'm talking to, like, you know, the people at the top of Fenway Sports Group. Even if the Red Sox are not the main thing on their mind anymore, <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing, <laughs> even if it's not their top priority, you know who Mookie Betts is. You know who Shoei Otani is. And I'm not even saying they had to get Shoei Otani. Were they even in the running? Did they even make a phone call? You need Theo Epstein to come in here and tell you that Shoei Otani is someone you should be interested in? Like, they're not, they're not doing anything. It's not like they're making bad moves and here's Theo and he's going to, you know, save you and make better moves. No, they're not they're not making any moves. They're not doing anything. And I just feel like right now maybe Theo is a little bit of good news because they haven't had much of that and they're not going to this offseason because they're not doing anything. That's why I can't get too into this. That's why I'm just having a hard time Sort of, you know, going along with it. Could it end up being better in the long run? Sure it could. And listen, if they turn everything over to Theo and Theo's the main guy in charge and he's running the Red Sox and that's that. If he turns into Larry Lucchino, which is what it kind of sounds like to me, Larry runs the Red Sox. Oh, okay. What's Theo doing? <laughs> he's, he's in charge. He's like Fenway Sports Group owner, mostly in charge of the Red Sox. And I saw Cotillo, McAdam, other people have now reported that that's what he's going to be here to do. He's going to take a special interest in the Red Sox. The initial uh, press release, the initial press release came out and said uh, that he is going to be in charge of, like, investments and things like that. Investments, I mean, who knows what they're investing in these days. Just invested in the PGA Tour. 
Um, as our own Rob Bradford said, I don't think he's here to, or this is Lou Maloney actually, who said, I don't think he's here to give uh, tips on the PGA Tour. Might be a good golfer. I don't think that's what his uh, job description is going to come with. And it shouldn't. If he's here, he should be doing Red Sox stuff. He should be doing baseball stuff. And I'm not talking about trying to put lipstick on this pig of a team, okay? Which is what, you know, is unfortunately Sam Kennedy's job, and he's having a hard time with it this offseason. And let's, you know, like, in some ways I feel bad for him. I didn't love what he said at Winter Weekend, but also what's he supposed to say? They're not spending. They're not doing anything. How do you dress that up? How do you make that sound good? How do you make that look good? Bring in Theo Epstein. <laughs> you know, that's sort of that's sort of where I am right now. Could you sign a pitcher to that? Uh, no, but Theo's back. <laughs> like, okay, great. Can you bring back Theo and also sign a pick? Can you just can we please make this team better? I making the ownership uh, group better is fine. But I feel like it's like, you know, Reaganomics. It's like trickle-down economics. That'll eventually, sooner or later, you're going to see something from this. And I know there's a very hip reference with the Reaganomics there, wasn't it? But that's sort of what I mean. You know, like, that's great that Theo's back in, in the mix and that he's involved. And again, as I said, everything he touches turns to gold. But what? He's just going to be an owner and all of a sudden now he's going to be fixing the red side? I just... Eh. They could be doing some of this work without him, I guess, is my big issue with all this. They could have done lots of things that Theo Epstein, it was just so obvious and clear and everybody could see it that, like, why would Theo Epstein need to be in charge? Why would he need to be in, in John Henry's ear? John Henry's been doing this for a while. And by the way, the Red Sox won two World Series after Theo left the first time. So I don't think John Henry's looking at it like, oh, man, I got to I gotta just turn everything over to Theo and whatever Theo says goes, and I'm just going to go by whatever Theo says. Yeah, they let him leave. He stuck with Larry Lucchino, and Theo left and went to Chicago. And what happened to the Red Sox? Did they fall apart? Did it all go wrong? No, they won a World Series in 2013 and then another one in 2018. And it was a lot of Theo's guys on those teams, so, I mean, okay. But they didn't fall apart. They figured it out, <laughs> you know. Ben Charrington figured it out. Dave Dombrowski figured it out. High and Bloom, not so much. But the big difference between High and Bloom and even Ben Charrington, who was considered in his day to be a very thrifty guy who didn't want to move on from, from prospects. Also, the guy who signed Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez, like, he spent. They let him spend. They let him spend in ways that High and Bloom never got to. And it doesn't seem like Breslow's going to get to either. At least not unless Theo Epstein can get in his ear and tell him, hey, you know, John, you should maybe let Craig spend here a little bit. Just, you know, let's let's try that this year. Let's try not slashing payroll. Like, they're slashing payroll. Theo Epstein gets to, has to come in here and tell you not to do that? Not to slash payroll? Like, what are we talking about? Ugh. I want to like this. I want to be happy about this. Just the Red Sox aren't letting me. Joseph, are you happy about this? Do you even care about Theo Epstein? You don't, do you remember him? No, I don't, I don't remember him. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> Theo Epstein was a god among men. He walked the streets and, like, when he'd walk down the street, the, the sidewalk would light up like Michael Jackson in the Smooth Criminal video. I'm not kidding. He was, he was a god. He was an icon. Why can't I enjoy this? Why can't I just be happy about this? Why can't I be happy about anything with the Red Sox ever? Ugh, they've ruined. They're making me skeptical of Theo Epstein now. 
This is probably a personal problem. I'm doing a lot of projecting right now. I, I understand that. But do you see where I'm coming? Like, I'm I'm of that perfect age. I was in college when they won the world, when they won that World Series. Theo Epstein walked on air. We should all be thrilled that he's back. Jones is probably right. I hate to say this, but Jones is probably right. Theo's back. It's good. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. They had to bring Theo Epstein back to tell him what? Hey, uh, hey, you know how we finished last in last place in 2023? How about we spend more in 2024 instead of slashing the payroll? Wow, good idea, Theo. Like, you know, Breslow didn't say that. No one else said that. You need Theo to say that? I feel like the problems with this team are beyond Theo. It's the it's the organizational philosophy. And maybe he'll uh, take some part in changing it. Maybe he'll change it from the inside. We can only hope, right? I just, I don't know. I can't enjoy it. I can't enjoy it. 617-779-7937. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll grow to eventually. Let's see how the team does. Maybe let's see what the team looks like before I declare this thing a massive failure. That might be That might be one rational way of looking at it, I guess. But I'm just, oh, I'm so down on the Red Sox these days. I just can't help it. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Let's uh, get to some phone calls here. We'll continue with our Red Sox and uh, uh, Theo Epstein conversation. And there's been a lot going on with the Patriots as they continue to fill out their coaching staff. We will get to that next. And your Red Sox phone calls right after trending. Now, broadcasting from the pulpit of sports radio in Boston, it's Sunday Mass with Christian Arcan on WEEI. I feel better about it. No insult to Nick Cayley. I feel better about it than I would have if it was Nick Cayley. Um, Alex Van Pelt has been a coordinator, as you said, for Cleveland since 2020. He cycled through a number of different quarterbacks, including this year Joe Flacco, bringing him in off the street. And, yes, he's a very experienced quarterback, but you still have to get him up to speed. They cycled through Deshaun Watson down to backup quarterbacks and got them ready to go. Ten twenty here, Boston Sports Original WEEI. It's Reverend Arcan, Sunday Mass. Nice to have you with us here today. Um, that was Tommy Curran on the Alex Van Pelt hire. If you missed it, Alex Van Pelt has been hired as the new offensive coordinator for the Patriots. They have all their coordinators. Uh, they got uh, Van Pelt. They got Covington. And now the special teams coach, who I just had his name up, and now I forget what his name is. What's his name, Jess? Let me get that to you in a second. <laughs> okay. I was just looking at it. He was the guy from uh, the Rams. And they had a very, very poor uh, Jeremy Springer. Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy Springer. Jeremy Springer. Uh, they had a very poor year at special teams last year uh, under the uh, guidance of Jeremy Springer. But maybe, you know, I mean, listen, they had a new kicker. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, I hate to break it down this like this generally, but if you have a good kicker and a good punter, you got a pretty good specialty. You know, like you want to be able to cover those kicks, but do you even need to anymore? Like there's a couple of returns here and there. Mostly getting touchbacks. You have a kicker who can boot it out of the end zone and a punter who can, you know, pin him in the twenties and you're fine. <laughs> you know, you'll look like a good special teams coach. So let's see. Let's the Patriots don't have the kicker. They do have a pretty good punter. 
Um, but they've had good punters before. I thought Ryan Allen was the greatest punter of all time, and they cut him the day after the Super Bowl. I'd never seen that before. I was like, wow, okay, well, I guess he wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't know anything about punting. Looks like it's not fun. Not fun at all. And oftentimes, I feel like they go down even when they weren't hit that hard, just because their leg's up in the air and they're flying around. It just seems like an easy way to hurt yourself. Um, as for the Patriots, at first, I liked the Van Pelt move. Because I like how the Browns kind of survived with all the quarterbacks this year. I thought that was impressive. I thought that was something you could sort of look at and think, okay, well, you know, he he made it work. Um, Stefanski, as head coach, is the guy who was calling the plays. It wasn't him doing that. But it was him working with all the different quarterbacks. It was him working with, uh, well, Deshaun Watson, which was probably a strike against him because it never really seemed like those two were connecting very well. Um, then there was P.J. Walker, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, one of those, two, I think, Walker played in the XFL. Uh, Jeff Driscoll was a quarterback for a game. And, uh, of course, Joe Flacco, who was surprisingly good at the end of the season for the Browns in those last five games. Not good in the playoffs. Had a very uh, poor playoff game. But, you know, they made the playoffs with all those quarterbacks. Now, that wasn't the strength of the Cleveland Browns. That was a team that was defensive-minded first, obviously. But uh, I didn't hate the move at the time. And I don't hate it now. But the more times passed, the more I've sort of looked at it and thought, you know, this isn't really what I was looking for. <laughs> like, this guy's not bad. I mean, he clearly did, knows something about something here. And they want him to work with a quarterback, it looks like. It seems like he's going to have some input on that. Good. Uh, you know, I'm fine. Someone who knows a little something about it, I'm happy with that. But I'm a little concerned about a guy calling plays for the first time under a defensive head coach. That's concerning, isn't it? Like, he's taken over and he's doing it for the first time. He's been a coach for 30 years. Uh, so we'll see how this all goes. I have some more thoughts on it in a second. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Uh, we're taking Red Sox calls. Theo Epstein, if you want to uh, talk about him, uh, we'll continue taking those calls all throughout the hour, all throughout the show, really. So uh, those are the two big topics here of the day. So let's go to Mick up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, with a thought on the Red Sox. Go ahead, Mick. Hey, Arkin. Thanks for taking my call. You got it, Mick. Hey, I just got to say, I think it's a brilliant move by Red Sox ownership to bring Theo back because it just distracts from the main problem this this franchise has. All yeah. parents are like, woo, we got Theo back, yahoo, hell yeah. And you know what? It really sucks because this team, it's the Boston Red Sox, and there's no serious consideration for talent. It's just demoralizing. So I'm going to hang up and uh, listen to what you have to say. Thanks, man. Thank you, Mick. Appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, kind words there, and I think you're right. You know, I hate to say it, but I think you're right. And people are like, well, Theo's not going to leave his position with Major League Baseball. This is what Jones kept saying. He's not going to leave his position with Major League Baseball just to become some figurehead here with the Red Sox. If he wants to become an owner in the league, he will. <laughs> if he wants to, and it seems like he does. If that's the track that he's on towards ownership, what do you think is better for that? Being a consultant to Major League Baseball, giving him pitch clock ideas, or owning a team, being a minority owner of a team, the team that you grew up with, the team that you already have great standing with, so much so that fans of the team are ignoring the fact that the team blows and getting all excited just because you're coming back being a minority owner. When have you ever seen that before? When have you ever seen uh, fans 
go really crazy over the latest minority owner of their favorite team. Maybe Gloria Stefan. Doesn't she own like part of the Dolphins? <laughs> or am I thinking of somebody else? Maybe it's the Miami Sound Machine I'm thinking of or something like that. But it's you don't get a reaction like this very often, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make here. Okay? And that's, you know, good for Theo. And I know I'm going to end up sounding like an idiot because Theo, everything he touches turns to gold, obviously. Although, Major League Baseball lately, I don't know. I think his suggestions that he made, you know, the pitch clock and all that sort of other stuff, the things that he's suggesting I think aren't hurting the league. But, you know, when you have a matchup in the World Series, like the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, I mean, the World Series, that, those ratings were way down. Those ratings were way down from uh, 2023. And they had started uh, going back up from the COVID year. So, you know, that was that was tough for the league last year. That was a tough thing. Before Theo came over here, I'd sort of been trying to link the two together and thinking, well, why wouldn't the... Why wouldn't ownership be in on some of these players? Why wouldn't ownership want to make a at least a public sort of stance about about trying to make the team better? Why are they cutting payroll? Why are they sending Sam Kennedy out there to get, you know, eaten by the wolves? Like what's what's the point of all this? And then I thought, you know, maybe it's because the World Series were so down. Maybe it's because the numbers were so down. Maybe they're just not looking at baseball the same way up there anymore. At the very least, you can say this move with Theo flies in the face of that. Bringing in Theo Epstein, I know he's sort of buying into it, becoming a minority owner, but whatever. Bringing him in does, on some level, signal that you're recommitting to the Red Sox. But there's other ways to do that. You know, there's other ways to show that, that involve spending, that involve targeting players that you like and and, and bringing them in, building a pitching stat, doing all these things instead of just trying to skimp and save on, skimp and save on everything which is what they've been doing and are continuing to do. And that's frustrating. Um, 617 says, uh, Arkean on the text line, take your sorry ass home and let us enjoy Theo without your totally personal fears. Um, well, this is my show, so you're going to have to deal with my personal fears today, 617. I'm sorry. And it's not even that I'm afraid. Like, I'm not afraid that he's going to ruin them or anything. Like, I don't think anything bad's going to happen. I guess the fear is that this is just a PR stunt. And you can't tell me it never crossed your mind that this is a PR stunt. Their PR hasn't been great lately. You know, ask Sam Kennedy. <laughs> it's not been it's not been great. And again, you know, that's not always that's not always the fault of the guy with the microphone. I mean, he didn't choose his words well and between the you're a liar and the full throttle thing, I mean, the ownership group, they've been retracting more statements than they are signing players. Well, I guess I could have chose my words a little better there. And it's not like they said anything, like, really bad. Like, normally when you hear ownerships talking about, well, I could have used better words there, it's like a scandal happened. Like, these aren't scandals. These are just unfortunate word choices to try and gussy up a situation that is really hard to make look pretty, I guess. That's, that's the big problem. Anyways, 617-779-7937. Jonathan is in Randolph. My guy, what's up, Jonathan? Uh, hey, Christian. Um, uh, just quickly, uh, you're um, reluctant to be excited about Theo because his his presence doesn't change the fact that they're not going to spend money. It's a business decision. They're not spending money on the team. No one's going to change that. But I called about um, the, the Patriots, and something I'm kind of tired of because I've been hearing it all week from various outlets saying how uh, – 
Patriots might want to follow what Andy Reid did with the Chiefs in the, his first year where he drafted a tackle mm. instead of getting the quarterback he needed. The, the, and now the comparison makes no sense because going into that draft, it wasn't just retrospect. Going into that draft, it was one of the worst quarterbacks classes ever. Only one quarterback in the first round, only one quarterback in the second round. It was a no-brainer to not take E.J. Manuel Geno Smith at number one I was going to say the E.J. Manuel draft. Yeah, that was a tough one for sure. <laughs> yeah, this year has consensus good players. Now, will they be good in the league? We don't know, but there are consensus quarterbacks at the top of this draft, unlike in that Andy Reid first-year draft. So I don't like the comparison. I don't think it's the same. Yeah, um, uh, I don't think it's legit. Okay, Jonathan, I agree with you. I mean, that's that's a fair way of looking at it. It does seem like there's some consensuses now. It did seem like there was some consensus. I forget which year it was, uh, the year that Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston came out, and they went 1-2 or 1-3 or whatever it was, and neither one of them really uh, took off like people thought they would. They're both still kicking around the league, I think, right? Winston's still, what's he on, the Saints? And Mariota was somewhere. I forget where he, I forget where he was last year. But they're still hanging around, so, I mean, you know, wasn't wasn't like uh, total busts or anything, but... Not what you thought those picks were going to be. Um, and listen, the E.J. Manuel draft was, I think people sort of understood that that was not going to be a good quarterback draft. I think that was, there just weren't a lot of prospects that year. And sometimes there's tons of them. And sometimes there's tons of them and they don't pan out. You know, like, it's just, you never really know. You never really know until you draft one and you got to draft one to see. So, you know, if you want to play the game, you got to play the game. What I've always said, what I've always said about this situation with the offense, really, but, I mean, if you want to just limit it to the quarterback, is that whoever it is that's going to be under center, you need to have an offense for him. You need to have an offense for him. If it's going to be a rookie, then you can't have that rookie trying to run a bare-bones offense like you had for Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi last year. You've got to build something there. You've got to bring in pass catchers. You've got to bring in playmakers. You have to fortify the line. You have to do those things. And you can do that and get the quarterback. It's not like you can only do one or the other. But, you know, for me, whether it's a rookie quarterback, whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Justin Field, whoever, Kirk Cousins, like I don't know who they're going to get, Baker Mayfield, whoever they bring in here, there has to be an offense for that quarterback. It's not going to work otherwise. I just don't think so. I think you, I don't think there's a quarterback like that. I don't think there's a C.J. Stroud or a Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, or one of those guys in this draft, Patrick Mahomes, I just don't think that you're going to get that in this draft. That's just a personal feeling. I may be totally wrong and look like an idiot on this one too. But even if you want to go after one of these quarterbacks, even if you really are targeting one of them, you have to have an offense for him. You saw what throwing a quarterback into a ridiculous offense looks like. You see it all over the league. You haven't seen it in New England lately, although maybe you did and Tom Brady just made it look okay. Like, oh, six, that wasn't a great offense. 2013, not a great offense. Brady made it work to an extent to a conference championship game. You know, that was a big failure for Brady back in those days. But, you know, when it's Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, Drake May, you know, whoever. I just, I don't know. I, I don't think that, I don't think you can, I don't think you can do that. Bryce Young on a different team might not have had the rookie season that he had. C.J. Stroud, there were some things in place there at least. They didn't, Nico Collins wasn't a good receiver, but there was something there. There was a good offensive line there. You know, there were some things in play. Whoever's coming to be the quarterback of this team doesn't have anything. There's no offensive line. There's nobody to catch the ball. It's, 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 a, it's a mess. So that's why I sort of feel like build out the offense. If there was a quarterback here who I thought was going to be the next Tom Brady, 
or, you know, the next Dan Marino or John Elway or whatever, then fine, get them. But I don't think about those quarterbacks like that. I think it's hard to, just looking at the way that they've played. Um, Ian Rappaport, if you have this, Joseph, was talking about uh, the input that the new offensive coordinator of the Patriots would have on the quarterback, on who they get, on the type of offense that they run. Obviously, he's the offensive coordinator, so he's going to have a, a, some input on that, I would say. But him having input on where they go at quarterback, I think, is a uh, important detail here because that's putting a lot of power into this guy's hands now. Gerard Mayo, I mean, he'll be the head coach and he'll motivate him and stuff, but is it going to be the quarterback that he wants? Is that who they're going after? Like, Mayo's got his eye on this guy, and we're going to get that guy. Or is it going to be something that they leave to Van Pelt? If one thing you can say from the last, you know, 10 years of Belichick is that you can, in the right setting, have the head coach only worry about the defense and the offensive coordinator run the offense. And I know that there were times where Belichick would cross over, and I know last year he was working with the offensive line, which that worked great, didn't it? And, you know, that that sort of thing can happen. But for the most part, we're talking about a guy who's there for the defense, and that's his main focus, and that's really the strength of the team and everything, and then the offense becomes the offense. And, you know, that's sort of how they always looked at it, and that's how it was with the Giants in the, in the 80s, and that's how Belichick wanted to be with the Patriots. He just so happened to have the greatest quarterback ever. Uh, do we have that clip? Uh, I have him on the on the AVP hiring. Is that what you, is that what you're talking about? Uh, Rappaport. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. This is uh, this is Rap Sheet talking about uh, Van Pelt and the input he'll have with uh, quarterbacks. He's really the perfect Patriots type coach. Former player. He loves football. Like this is a guy who absolutely loves football. Is a total football tape nerd, uh, history football nerd. Like this is a guy who lives and breathes it, which is literally perfect for the New England Patriots. And, you know, I don't know why it's like this, but whenever there's a defensive coach hired, all anyone talks about is like, all right, well, who's their coordinator going to be? We don't do the opposite when an offensive coach is hired. We don't yes, we go, do. well, they got to get the defense right. But we do it in this case. Yes, we do. So in this instance, it does seem like Gerard Mayo got it right. I mean, we focus a lot on, like, who's actually calling the plays. Alex Finpel was intricately involved in setting up, designing, and implementing implementing. This Browns offense, he is an excellent quarterback tutor, and the fact that he's going to have a heavy hand in the future franchise quarterback for the Patriots, very important in New England. A heavy hand on the future franchise quarterback in New England, which tells you a couple of things there, and I think they've been they've been signaling this pretty clearly for, I'd say, since Mayo's first uh, press conference. After the press conference, we were sitting down, I think, with uh, Steve Burton and said, yeah, it's going to be someone in a position that we really need. They're getting, I think they're getting a quarterback in the draft. Which, listen, that wasn't what that, if I'm being consistent here, I can only be consistent. It's not what I wanted. I think that you could have waited to get a quarterback. I think there's some QBs that may drop down that aren't, you know, too much worse than the guys at the top of the first. I just, that's, that's how I look at these quarters. That's how I, I grade them. Other people may disagree. Uh, NFL teams and GMs probably disagree. Sounds like the Patriots disagree. <laughs> so, whatever. But I'm just trying to be consistent with my take from earlier. And I think that, you know, if you want to build an offense, you can do that. You can bring Harrison in. You can fix the offensive line and free agency. You can make another draft pick there. Maybe two. Maybe not wait until the fifth round like you did last year or whatever, fourth round, uh, where you picked all defense to start. Really zero in on some guys that you want. Make some big offers to some of the free agent wide receivers. 
and then whoever your quarterback is will at least be able to try and hit the ground running. There will be something for them to be able to work with. You had something for Mac Jones to work with his rookie year. Not a lot. Not a lot. But there was something there. You spent, you brought in Henry, you brought in John U. Smith. The year before that, Tom Bra- or Cam Newton was uh, the last legs of Julian Edelman, didn't have anything else. And not to defend Cam Newton because he couldn't throw the ball anymore, but he didn't have a whole hell of a lot of options there. There was a reason why they went big spending there that next year. And it goes back all the way to Tom Brady's last year, 2019. He was the most miserable 12-0, whatever it was, 12-0 quarterback in the league. Miserable. So, in this day and age, if you want to have a rebuild and you want to really, you know, build a structure that you can that you can get somewhere with, that a quarterback can, you know, feel good. It has to be more structurally sound than this. There's no uh, there's no way you look at this and think, okay, just drop in a, a good quarterback and all of a sudden you're going to be turning things around. I don't think so. You are bare bones. Thank you. Just wanted to give your point some more, you know. I appreciate that. Oomph to him. You do, you're, you're bare bones right now. You've got to do something about that. Um, and I don't think that just drafting a quarterback at three is going gonna, is gonna to change all your fortunes right away. It seems like that's what they're going to do. I challenge them then to build a quarterback, build an offense for this quarterback. Because if they think that's going to solve all their problems, thank you. Uh, I don't believe that it will. 617-779-7937. There's your phone number. We'll uh, get to your Celtics. Uh, we've got some Celtics phone calls on the line that we'll get to as well. But when we come back, I have a thought on the Super Bowl and on Taylor Swift. So that's coming up next. This is Sunday Mass with Christian Arcand on WEEI. I don't really like Taylor Swift that much, like musically. I'm not a huge fan of her music. You're gonna get yourself in trouble by saying that. No, it's. I mean, I people can. You can turn it back up because this is a song down in Providence. Do they still do this at Providence ba- basketball games where the whole crowd sings along to this. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure they, I'm they sure sing they the whole song at yeah. Providence basketball games. And so, I mean, listen, this tour she had. I mean, billions of dollars, and billions and too. billions of dollars. People would sit in a movie theater to watch a concert. What is this, 1935? I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, the Talking Heads did the same thing with that Stop Making Sense. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, but it wasn't making billions of dollars. No, no, it wasn't. And this song, I mean, I like this song. 1.5 billion views on YouTube. It's a good song. Yeah, she, got some, she has some good ones in there. I like, um, uh, what's the one? Let's see the other song of hers I like. Now I'm just thinking of this one. <laughs> Not Blank Space. Um, Wildest Dreams. That's a good Wildest song. Dreams. I like Wildest Dreams. That is a good song by her. And she's got a bunch of good songs. Yeah. But uh, I read somewhere that in the last game, in the last Chiefs game, she was shown for 44 seconds. I don't remember how many times exactly, but it was a total, a grand total of 44 seconds of a three and a half hour football game. And I see people still tweeting now. Is there anything more annoying than... 
Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift at these games. Yes, there is. You bitching about it. <laughs> There's nothing more annoying than that. And before all you Swifties get all excited, okay, you're probably not going to like what I have to say next either. I enjoy Taylor Swift. I enjoy when they cut to her. Okay? <laughs> what do you want from me? She's She does it for me. <laughs> I like Taylor Swift. Oh, Arkan. Uh, what? Oh, sorry that the uh, pretty blonde, you know, billionaire super uh, star t- pops my cork. What do you want? What do you want from me? I'm a man, all right? What do you want? You want to cut to Robert Kraft in the booth? <laughs> Jerry Jones? That's who you want to see? And it's not even just that I think she's attractive. I like those I like those fanatics Aaron Andrews collection Kansas City Chiefs outfit she wears. You're the target audience, Arkan. She uh, they're showing this to me and I'm consuming it. <laughs> okay? So sorry everybody. I know that you're so annoyed by the beautiful woman in the on TV during the football game. I know that it's just the worst thing ever and you can't stand it. They did the same with Giselle. With Tom Brady. They did the same with no Jessica Simpson, then. and people yeah. bitched about it back then, too. I, I'm there. I'm 20-whatever years old going, no, 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 show, show more Jessica Simpson. I liked when they showed Jessica Simpson. I liked when they showed that uh, A.J. McCarron's girlfriend who ended up doing those commercials for uh, Carl's Jr., where she's eating the burger in the back of the car. I forget what her name is, but I like when that happens. But do you think we're going to get, like, a Chiefs-themed album if they win? You know, Who like- cares? I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> sure, fine. Listen, I don't think Taylor Swift needs the NFF, if that's what you're asking. They may uh, they may have some sort of handshake agreement behind the scenes. But I'll tell you, whoever that whoever's in charge of that agreement, that's helping the NFL more than it's helping her. And if you don't see that, then you're nuts. How many more people do you think are going to be watching that game? Not just the halftime show, but watching the whole game to see her. How many, just the games that she's been appeared in lately. And then it becomes this whole big topic, and everyone's got some take on it. Everyone's got some take on Taylor Swift being at a football game. It's like, okay. It's just so ridiculous. Um, It's a ridiculous thing. I do think that there is a little bit of a, eh, I don't know, fixed marriage kind of sense to it. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of a... Like in the beginning of coming to America, remember when Eddie Murphy is making that girl bark like a dog? I feel like Travis Kelsey's barking like a dog for Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the Prince of Zamunda, <laughs> and and uh, Travis Kelsey is that girl that barks like the dog. That's basically what's happening. That's what it seems like to me. But that's as hot of a take as I have on it. All this stuff about how they're oh they're going to try and influence the election. Like shut up, please, please. It's the Super Bowl, okay? It's the Super Bowl. You know, you're talking about influencing the election. Bill Belichick, who I didn't have a problem with, with it really when he did this, wrote a letter to Donald Trump at the last one. And Trump read it in New Hampshire. I mean, come on. Either have a problem with that or don't. But don't just make it a one-side thing. I didn't care when Belichick did that. He's allowed to write letters to politicians. I don't like Trump, but whatever. You know, like that's you do that, it's fine. Uh, but let's uh, let's just keep it a hundred here because I don't think that I don't think that whatever happens in the election is going to have any bearing on who wins the Super Bowl or who's dating the tight end of the team that wins the Super Bowl. By the way, I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not betting against the Chiefs. I already put my bet in, and uh, the reason why I did is because when the line opened, they were both uh, both odds were in the minus. Chiefs were the underdogs, but they were like minus one hundred two. And the Niners are like minus 118. I waited to throw a bet down until it went into the plus. And I hope I, I hope I didn't jump the gun. 
Because if that uh, those odds continue to climb, then I may make another one on a different app. <laughs> because that's how much I believe in the Chiefs. That's how much I believe in the Illuminati, man. You know, like it's honestly like I don't I I'd feel I'd feel silly betting against the Chiefs after they made me so much money in the prior rounds. And just the fact that they keep getting launched out there as the underdog, you know, against the team that they've beaten in the Super Bowl recently and they're the reigning champs and they were underdogs in the last two. games. It's just like, you know what I mean? Like, how how does that keep happening? How does all this money keep coming in on the team playing the Chiefs? Doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Um, Arkan, the NFL changed their moniker from Super Bowl 58 to Super Bowl Swifty 8. I heard uh, I heard Hillman say that uh, this week. Super Bowl Swifty 8. I don't, I don't hate that, honestly. Uh, the only thing worse than cutting to Taylor Swift was when players were kneeling for the national anthem. Okay, man. <laughs> you know, that's those things. Those things really bother you that much. Like, and if they did, it seems like it's two very different things to get bothered by. You know, if you had a real problem with the players kneeling for the anthem, it was because, well, they're taking a stand. They don't, they don't like America, whatever it is that you thought. But what does that have to do with Taylor Swift? <laughs> like, she didn't say anything like that. Do you think they tried to get her for the halftime show? Like, do you think that's? Oh, the they've definitely been trying to get her for the halftime show. She keeps saying no because you don't get paid for the halftime show. It's all yeah. that's you really don't like. No one who's ever done the halftime show has made that much money. I don't think. Even Prince, you know, like you do the halftime show and they do that, and they're like, "Here you go, all these people will be watching you, and you know what that's worth." <laughs> like, you know, do it for, <laughs> do it for the exposure, basically. It's one of those things that if you're in the if you started off in the industry, you probably noticed a lot of times people are trying to get you to work for free. That happens a lot, uh, especially for young people starting off. Is that why you turned it down when they asked you? When they asked me to do the Super Bowl, yeah, yes. Yeah, I have a strict uh, budgetary limit. I will only perform for a certain amount of money. Just me and Taylor Swift. We're very uh, we're very alike in that way. <laughs> But that's, you know, that that's something that they do, and they do it all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, when it's the Super Bowl, there's tens of millions of people watching, so it's pretty good, I guess. Although, lately, I feel like people don't watch the same way. Like, in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s, before smartphones, really, people watched the Super Bowl differently. People were glued to the screen for the whole broadcast. And I don't feel like people are glued to any screen ever anymore. People are looking up and down and all around, you know, talking to each other and all these things, which you were doing in Super Bowl parties back in the day. But then you're checking your bets. Then you're checking this. You're checking that. You're checking all these things. And you're doing that right in the middle of the game, which people didn't used to do. It's a different kind of the attention span so different. And I know I sound like an old man talking about these things, but when everyone talks about, oh, yeah, you know, just so long as you're there, the 30-second ad in the Super Bowl, these people are going to watch it. People forget about those ads real quick now. Like, what was the best ad from the Super Bowl last year? In the 90s, you remembered every single one of them every single year. And you talked about them all year. You'd go to school and talk about the ads. People doing was up to each other for decades. Oh, they were good. Did you see the 201 this year? I, I, it was, they're already showing them now. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the other thing is you see them like two weeks before. You don't even get even surprised by them anymore. They've and been then, out. You're used yeah, to them. They're all over Twitter. The joke's not even funny to you anymore. It's like they've completely ruined it. They've completely ruined it. Stop worrying about Taylor Swift and let's make the Super Bowl ads great again. Okay, <laughs> let's make that happen. 
Let's make Super Bowl ads great again. I don't know how exactly. Stop leaking them is probably the first way. No more leakers. All right? I don't want you leaking any more of these uh, ads. And I don't know how you get people to pay more attention, but I guess you just got to make the ads better. You got to make them funnier. Funny ads. That's the way to go. The ads got to be funny. No serious ads. No, like, ads that, you know, like, it can't be emotional one. No, 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 no. All funny ads. Every time it cuts to commercial, I want to be laughing. Every single time. All right? That's how you make Super Bowl ads great again. 617-779. Thank you. 793-7. That is the, uh, is the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Coming up uh, after this break, we're going to talk some Celtics. What is going on with the Celtics? They got a, I thought, easy opponent tonight. But they had a very easy opponent on Thursday, and they got beat by Austin Reeves. So we'll get into what's wrong with the Celtics right after this.